As we get into today's episode, I just want to take a second and remind you that there's a ton of extra content available to the members of Film and Whiskey Nation who support us through our Patreon. Check us out on patreon.com slash filmwhiskey. On today's Film and Whiskey, we are wrapping up season six. It's time for us to eliminate some more movies. We're down to the final eight. We're going to crown the champion of season six. Meanwhile, we're going to be drinking three whiskeys from Doc Swinson's. That's all ahead on the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And it is freaking time, Brad G. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. All of us. Every human being on the planet. With bated breath, I might add. (laughs) Yeah, it's time for us to whittle our bracket down from the final eight films to the final one film. We've been throwing movies into the fiery abyss left and right. We've got seven more to add to their number, and only one will survive. Uh, It is a... (laughs) It is a cinematic death match here at Film and Whiskey today. It sure is, Bob. And I think we have a pretty spectacular uh, not elite eight. <laughs> we need another uh, E word. Uh, Extraordinary. Yes. Ex- yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, first of all, you're going out of order. Go do that first. We we went from 32 down to eight. Our eight films that are left from season six are, in order, Jurassic Park, Shaun of the Dead, Brief Encounter, Terminator 2, The Grand Budapest Hotel, A Few Good Men, Taxi Driver, and Aliens. Brad, as we were going through last episode, I was taking very quick notes in a bracket to you know, make note of what was moving on. I abbreviated everything. So I just have these letters that are like B-E and T-D, and I have no idea what they stand for. So it took me a long time to translate that to like brief encounter, taxi yeah. driver, you know? The only one that I actually wrote out was aliens. <laughs> me too. Other than that, it's all letters, baby. It makes me very happy for T2, though. Yes. Like, I know exactly what that is. (laughs) Brad, how are you feeling about this group of eight that we have left? I will say, I think that Brief Encounter is the only one that just completely stands out. Yes. Other than that, I'm like, this is a pretty bro-y group of movies. It really is. I feel like if (laughs) if someone said, hey, I've been listening to this podcast uh, by two white straight males in their early 30s and they have eight movies left on their list everybody would be like yep i bet i can guess seven of those and they'd be absolutely right and even the even the eighth one is a little bit of a broy movie like uh, only a guy would be like yeah let's make a movie about where the woman is a protagonist and guess guess what she does cheats on her husband with another guy <laughs> great idea for a, for a movie yeah, you're not wrong, man. So uh, I apologize for our broishness on the podcast, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Terminator don't 2 freaking slaps, Bob. man. I was going to say, don't you apologize. These are great movies. <laughs> <They're> so good. <laughs> All right, Brad, we have a task ahead of us today. And as we do that, we are going to be sipping on three whiskeys from Doc Swinson's. If you've been following us all season, they have been our season six sponsor, and we are going out with a bang. They sent us six different whiskeys to try, three ryes and three bourbons. We tried the ryes on the last episode, and that means that I'm over here rubbing my hands together because I am very excited to dive into these three bourbons. That will be coming up soon. But Brad, it is time for us to dive back into the bracket and knock some movies out of existence. What do you say? Mm. Fiery Inferno, here you here they come. All right, so we are starting up in the upper left-hand quadrant here. Uh, we named them after Tom Cruise on the last episode. I don't know what the name of this one is, but uh, we're going to call it the Cruise uh, Bracket. The Cruise Bracket. Yep, that's right. <laughs> We've got the number one seed, Jurassic Park. Facing off against the number eight seed, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead had a a really challenging group of 16 matchup to get here because it was facing off against another Edgar Wright movie. It came down to a coin flip. I think 
as good as that movie is, it's kind of lucky to be here. And I think this might be where the luck runs out. Yeah, I if it wasn't going up against Jurassic Park, like I'm trying to think, I think that it would beat probably three other movies in this round to get to the final four. But Jurassic Park is a is a friggin juggernaut, man. It truly is. And uh, it's going to be really hard to beat Jurassic Park. I think I said that at the end of last episode, but I don't know if I can overestimate, Brad, the effect that Jurassic Park has on children of the 90s. Like, yeah, whatever people think of Jaws that grew up earlier than the 90s, that's Jurassic Park for us. And every time I see something go up against Jurassic Park in this bracket, it truly becomes like a no brainer to me. Yeah, there's there's not many films that could stand up to it. I can think of one or two that might have a chance, but uh, we'll we'll see if the if they make it there. Well, as we send Shaun of the Dead off into the realm of the undead, do you have any parting words for it, Brad? Any parting words for Edgar Wright? This will be his last film left standing. Bill Nighy almost makes me weep in that film, and it's freaking perfect. Hmm. I like I still going back and watching that movie. I, I literally just had a close friend of mine being like, hey, what what movies from season six should I watch? Because I told him we were we were recording the last episode and, and I was like, you should watch Heat or you should watch Shaun of the Dead. And I told him that Shaun of the Dead is because it's a comedy that you you just come close to weeping halfway through it because Bill Nighy's amazing. And. That opening 10 minutes of the film is is like genuinely some of the best cinematography of any movie this season. Hmm. So, Shaun of the Dead, we bid you a very fond farewell. You know, this is a great time, Brad, to very quickly talk about our plans for season seven. So we're kind of going to run it back for season seven. We've had such a good time doing these director miniseries. And there are an abundance of directors out there that we still have yet to hit on. And so we've made a new list of directors that we're going to do through season seven. And one of those directors is going to represent the first set of foreign language films that we have ever done on film and whiskey. We're going to jump over to Japan and we're going to watch four films by Akira Kurosawa. And I to say I'm excited is an understatement. I am freaking pumped for that. But one of the movies on that list, Brad, is a movie that he made in the early 50s called Ikiru. And they just remade that movie this year as a movie called Living, which is kind of what it translates to in English. And they reset it in post-war Britain, and it stars Bill Nighy, who just received his first ever Academy Award nomination for Best Actor for that movie. And by the time we get around to reviewing Ikiru, I think what we should do is we should do a bonus episode and watch the remake and then talk about, you know, compare and contrast. I'm 100 percent in. I like I already liked Bill Nighy, but having seen him in a few, you know, movies for this show, I just want to go on a Bill Nighy kick and watch like 10 of his movies. It's a really good movie, man. I saw it at the theater a couple weeks ago. I'm excited to talk about it and the differences here. Uh, but that means that we have to wait a few months to talk any more about Bill Nighy because Shaun of the Dead you're out of here. And that takes us to our next matchup to get into the group of four. We're talking about the number four seed, Brief Encounter, going up against the number five seed, Terminator 2. This is a really hard matchup because I think that both of these movies are nearly perfect. Uh, I think I gave Terminator 2 a nine and a half out of 10. I gave Brief Encounter a 10 out of 10. I don't know what to do here, Brad. Dude. These are easily the most disparate movies left in the bracket. And I can't imagine a quieter movie against a louder movie. Mm. <laughs> did you make Here's a the, pick? I, I did make a pick. Okay, okay. Have, have you made a pick yet? No. Actually, I like I kind of knew for the most part what my picks would be uh, coming into these bracket episodes. And there were a couple that I was just like, I'm going to decide in the moment. And this is one of them. I never, I did not get any further than this in this quadrant, Brad, because I I wanted to feel how I felt when it came up during the recording. Just imagine a world where the Terminator destroys our alternate future 
and brief encounter just never existed. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about that? That's a really good question. And I know you're being facetious, but here's the thing. Brief Encounter is one of the more underseen films we've ever done on this show. And so in some ways, it feels very easy to just get rid of it because not a lot of people are going to feel its absence. But at the same time, I really want to advocate for this movie. Like, if there's one movie this season that I want people to go watch that I know nobody has seen, it's Brief Encounter. Yeah, it's a movie I had never heard of, and I was very thankful that you brought up. And here's the other thing. I don't think that this is just a cinephile type of movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you're able to enjoy a drama, then you're going to like Brief Encounter. It is really engaging. Now, if if you are an aforementioned bro and, you know, don't (laughs) enjoy dramas at all, then you probably won't like Brief Encounter. And and that's totally fine. It doesn't have to be everybody's cup of tea. But at the end of the day, I move T2 on, Bob. Hmm. Now, Brad, where do you fall on the T2 versus Aliens thing? Because I think that when we scored out T2, I said, it's hard for me to give this a 10 because I think it's like as good as Aliens. And I gave Aliens a nine and a half. That's really tough. I don't remember what I gave Aliens. I think I would stick with T2. Okay. Uh, I think that the the setting is more appealing to me, you know, being on Earth. And I think that the interactions... Oh, I don't know, because you got Sigourney Weaver and the the little girl, which is a great, you know, mother-daughter relationship. But the father-son relationship between Arnold and uh the the kid actor in that movie is is really incredible. Mm-hmm. So man. That's why I'm having trouble moving T2 into the the final four here, because I know there's another James Cameron movie lurking. Yeah. So if this one gets swallowed up, there's still a chance for James Cameron. However, mm. I think I am also going to move Terminator 2 on. Holy cow, you're such a bro. Part of it you has to like do cinema. Part of it has to do with the matchup against Jurassic Park because I think Terminator 2 is the movie that when you're judging it against Jurassic Park, you're judging it against an action movie. And Terminator yeah. 2 has a better chance to make that an ex- exciting matchup than Brief Encounter does. Yeah. So it is yeah. with very heavy hearts that we say adieu to Brief Encounter. The little movie that could just take a train off into the sunset. Mm. Brad, nobody understands that because they've not seen. They've not seen the movie. Yes. (laughs) 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 I think that we should drown our sorrows from brief encounter with one of these three bourbons from Doc Swinson's. And, you know, in the spirit of of goodwill, Brad, I'll let you pick. Which one do you want to start with here? Uh, Let's let's start with the French toasted. The French toasted. All right, let's get to it. All right, so this first whiskey from Doc Swinson's we are drinking today is the French Toasted. Now, this is a part of their exploratory series, which is everything we've been drinking from them so far. Aside from all the notes I'm about to give you, it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a blended whiskey of two different mash bills, and it is aged in an American white oak for five and a half years, and then it's seasoned for about 36 months. So three years in new French oak barrels. So this is this is a, a really interesting expression, Bob. And I'm curious what you are picking up on the nose here. Yeah, this one is kind of a little bit of a shapeshifter in the glass, Brad. I got some of those like dusty rose notes that I get on like Willet for a hot second when I first poured it out. And then it's really kind of settling into oak and like heavy spice and some really prickly ethanol notes on the nose. Like the mm. alcohol is really jumping out of the glass on this one for me. How about for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was pretty buttery. There was some like pecan notes going on. Uh, and and there was a lot of vanilla. And it it did get very oaky after a little while. Mm-hmm. So So it's a pretty solid nose. I'm excited to get into the palate, though. Yeah, I'm getting some really good Coca-Cola notes on the nose. I'm not done nosing it yet. I, I know you're trying to segue us. But, no, but, keep at uh, it. I'm giving you a chance to sip here. I really like this so far, but I am intrigued to see where it goes from here. Brad, I can tell you've taken a sip. What are your first impressions here? Yeah, I think that you get some caramel that mixes with this like orange creamsicle. Mm. 
like almost like almost like an orange rich cheesecake feel to it. Um, and then like uh, the longer I sit with it, the more there's some like black peppery notes mm-hmm. kind of hinting around the edges of all the richness. I Bob, I really like this. Yeah, this one has a really interesting note right when you go to swallow, though, that it almost reminds me of uh, like the pith of an orange. Like it's it's got mm-hmm. like a bitter orange flavor to it right when you go to swallow. It's really interesting. There's definitely citrus on this. And I'm not seeing citrus in their tasting notes on their website. Like they're noting dark chocolate. I'm not really getting that so much. It's kind of a classic spicy bourbon with a little bit of uh, orange on top of that. It's like a really hot old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. That's I would say that's a good note. I think for me, it got it got oaky at the end, Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, might be the extra three years in a in a new French oak cask. But yeah, it gets a little oaky at the end, which just barely bitters a little bit. Not enough to to mess up the experience, but just enough to let you know it's there. Bob, I think if I was scoring this out, I'd probably be somewhere in like the 37 to 39 area. Yeah, I don't probably, know if it quite hit a 40, but it's really solid. I'd probably be right around the 35. Like this is a, a recommendation for sure. Uh, but I think it's important to note that that barrel that it finishes in is a toasted barrel, not a charred barrel. And we've been noting this since we first tried the Elijah Craig toasted barrel. When things are finished in toasted barrels, they really do take on, for me at least, some of the more bitter characteristics of oakiness, and they have a lot more of a tannic quality. This one definitely does have that kind of black tea tannic thing going on after you swallow. Uh, It's a good whiskey, but I'm excited to see where we go from here, Brad. So why don't you pick our second one? All right, so the next one we're going to try here is the Blender's Cut. Now, this is – I I just said that we are only drinking their exploratory. This is their only regular version that we are drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a high rye bourbon that has been kind of winning awards left and right, Brad. I mean, if you go to their website, I think they've got one, two, three, four, five, like six gold medals <laughs> listed that they've won for this Blender's Cut straight bourbon. This one that we have in front of us here – is aged for five years. It's 115 proof. There's not a lot more about it on the website. So I don't know if they're kind of keeping the mash bill under wraps a little bit, but we have less information about the mash bill and the provenance and things like that. But I'm equally excited to dive into it, Brad, because this has just a classic bourbon nose. Yeah, it really does. I, for me, it's literally caramel, mm-hmm. brown sugar. And then I, I don't know about you, but I think that candy corn has a very specific sugar smell to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting candy corn on this. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's there's definitely like a waxiness to this that. Yeah. Yep. I like it. But I think mine is, is sticking more in that kind of like mapley brown sugar realm, which is like that's where I live, dude. I, I love yeah. a good decadent sweet bourbon. So I'm really excited to jump into this one. I know you've tried it already. Can you give us your tasting notes? Yeah, dude, it's caramel cheesecake, it's vanilla, it's brown sugar. Like, the thing that I wrote down about this, this is like a platonic bourbon. Mm. Like, this is an ideal for what you would be looking for to to measure other bourbons up to. Yeah, I really like this, man. This It, it definitely goes, again, a little bit more oaky towards the back of the palate and into the finish. Uh, and it reminds me quite a bit of that toasted barrel finish. There's some uh, slightly bittering notes on this at the end, but the front of the palate and the mid palate are like your classic high proof bourbon. This is really, really good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think it's really, really incredible. Uh, on the end, you I, for me, it got a little bit corny. Like you could start to taste the corn coming through, but just just a hint of it, enough to flavor, not enough to make it feel young. Uh, and then there's some vanilla, there's some oak and and that caramel that you just get throughout the entire experience. All right, Brad, if you were going to score this one out, where do you think you'd fall? I think I'd be at like a 41 to 43 wow. area, okay. low 40s. Okay. I, I think it is a really exceptional bourbon. I think that I am slightly lower than I was with the first one on this, but only slightly, like a 34 really? out of 50. Yeah, I, I just, it doesn't have as many distinctive notes to it as all of the other four whiskeys from them that we've tried before this. And I think yeah. what I really love about Doc Swinson's is that 
each whiskey is so unique and it has so many distinct characteristics that this one is a really solid offering. But because it doesn't have that super uniqueness to it, I think, you know, it's it might be a little bit unfair, but I'm kind of dinging it for that, if that makes sense. Well, and and here's the thing. This is the whiskey that they use as like their main product Mm -hmm. for their finished bourbons. Mm -hmm. So if this is your baseline, I think that you can expect great things from everything that they use it with in their experimentation. Mm -hmm. Well, and speaking of the experimentation, we have one more whiskey to try from them. It is called The Forgotten One. It is, again, it's an exploratory cask. It's been aged for 16 years, this straight bourbon, uh, and it's finished in Madeira casks. This is a really cool one because, you know, during COVID, they stopped distilling for a while because they were making hand sanitizer, and they were planning on doing something with this whiskey that had been aged for 12 years and finishing in Madeira casks, and then they kind of forgot about it and came back to it after it had spent four years in Madeira casks. Now, it was only two barrels of whiskey. It was a, you know, they were finishing it in one sweet Madeira cask, one dry Madeira cask, and they've blended them together. And I I mean, you've tried it already, Brad. I have not. This is a Tennessee bourbon with an 84% corn, 8% rye, 8% barley mash bill, only 98.7 proof, which is interesting. This is the lowest proof of all six whiskeys that we've had so far. I'm pouring it out into my glass as we speak, but I'd love to hear your notes, Brad. Honestly, this one kind of reminded me of like a a really fruity light roast coffee. Hmm. Like I got grapes. I got peach. There was some peanut going on there. And it took me a while to pinpoint it, but it feels like there's some like nice oiled leather going on in the nose. It is a extraordinarily unique nose, Bob. Yeah, I really like this, man. This has some. Some really I don't I hate using the word exotic, but it has some really exotic fruits. And by that, I mean fruits that we don't typically get on whiskeys. You know, I've said prune from time to time. But what I really get on this is like fig and date. This is Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like almost like jelly. It's so sweet and decadent, but it has that sort of like dark, almost uh, like medjool date thing going on. Really, really nice. I expect that the Madeira is going to have like a ton of influence on the way this tastes. I'm about to give it a sip, Brad, but why don't you give us your tasting notes? Yeah, for me, it it turns in the grapiness turns into almost a more citrusy grapefruit. There is some nuttiness here that I think tastes kind of like a hazelnut. Mm -hmm. Some of the peanut comes through. And honestly, the the age here, it almost has like a dusty old book feel about Mm -hmm. it on the palate. The way that this drinks reminds me of, <laughs> I remember once I was visiting Kentucky, I walked into a liquor barn uh, store. Not, it's not just a barn of liquor. It's the name of their chain of stores in Lexington <laughs> and surrounding area. And they were pouring this uh, like pecan liqueur. And it reminds me so much of that. There's a ton of nuttiness to this, but it drinks so smoothly. And by that, I mean, low proof, no burn. That it almost has like a syrupy quality to it. It reminds me of a liqueur. It's not that sweet, but it has all of the mouthfeel of that. It is. Mm -hmm. This might be my favorite of the six. And I think it's because it is so unique. I have never had a whiskey do this on my palate before in terms of the mouthfeel and what it's reminiscent of. This is one of the most unique whiskeys I've ever had. Bob, Doc Swinson's continues to make incredible expressions of whiskey. And I think what they need to do is keep forgetting about barrels in the in the dark corners of their rickhouse, because if it turns out like this, I am just blown away. All right, man. Uh, I, I would say that if I was scoring this out, this would be like between a 45 and a 47 out of 50. This is insane. Like, yeah, Doc Swinson's Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so happy, Brad, that you walked me through it in this order because we saved the best for last. Uh, We have to get back to the bracket, though. No more whiskey for us right now. It's time to get serious. It's time to eliminate some more movies. What do you say? I mean, if you expect me to stop drinking, then you got another thing coming, (laughs) And the podcast is over. (laughs) Let's get to it, man. All right. So in the upper right hand side of the bracket, we have the number two overall seed, the Grand Budapest Hotel up against the number 10 seed, A Few Good Men. Brad, am I going to do something? Don't 
Am I going to do, do something it, strange here? I'm not sure yet. Convince me. Not... Convince me why I should choose Grand Budapest here. Grand Budapest Hotel is the crowning achievement of a filmmaker who prides himself on valuing classic cinema. Mm -hmm. A Few Good Men is a really great legal drama made by one of the best B-plus directors out there. What do you want to save? I don't know. That's the Grand Budapest Hotel. You want to save the you want to save the Grand Budapest Hotel. The Grand Budapest Hotel is undoubtedly the bigger artistic achievement. But if you told me like, "Hey, you're going to die later <laughs> and you have to watch one last movie and it has to be one of these two, first of all, I'd say, "Why are you doing this to me?" And then secondly, <laughs> I would say, "I probably want to watch A Few Good Men." I just think it's they are very they're both very entertaining films. I think A Few Good Men has like the comfort factor that Grand Budapest Hotel does not. Grand Budapest Hotel has a action sequence where you get to watch Jeff Goldblum be chased silent film era style through a museum by Willem Dafoe, who chops his fingers off by closing a door shut. It, if you just want to throw that into the fiery inferno, Bob, I like I don't know. Counterpoint. Who... A few good men has a sequence where Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson yell at each other in close up, ending in Jack Nicholson getting sent to prison and Tom Cruise telling him you're a son of a like they are. They are equally important scenes in cinematic history. I, here's the thing, Bob. You have me arguing against a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> I know I, I, I think, do. This is, I this think is so counterintuitive for you. I think that's argument enough. Did did Grand Budapest win your bracket? I Who's to say? I can tell by how you're arguing for it that you are going to get real mad if it gets knocked out. And that is all the reason I need to say A Few Good Men moves on here. And we need to flip the coin of destiny, Brad. Bob. <laughs> I knew it. You're just doing this to spite me. You're not even choosing based on principle here. I actually am. I really do think like if I had to list out maybe my top five movies of this year, I think that Grand Budapest and A Few Good Men are neck and neck. And I don't have my my list of how I ranked them pulled up at the moment. But, you know, A Few Good Men, I think, was top seven or eight. And so was Grand Budapest. They're both really really great movies and this was a really hard choice i just think again for me the comfort factor comes down to a few good men and i really do think truly not just to spite you that's the one i would move on here Mm-hmm. yep yep let's uh let's flip this coin bob see what see what destiny has to say about this <laughs> i could hear the quotes around the word destiny as you say it <laughs> bob i don't cheat uh, i'm not a cheater right grand budapest hotel is going to be heads a few good men, tails, Brad, for a spot in the final four. Flip that coin. Bob? Grand Budapest Hotel, the superior film. The one that Patrick H. Willems gave a nine and a half to is going to be moving into the fiery inferno. Wow. I also gave it a nine and a half, and I hate to see it go. A delightful film, a delightful Wraith Fiennes performance, probably Wes Anderson's best movie. And it has been usurped by the number 10 seed, A Few Good Men. And that means we have only one matchup left to get into a spot in the film and whiskey four here. And that is the number three overall seed, Taxi Driver. Up against the number 11 seed, Aliens. Brad, as I look at this matchup, I'm like, all right, maybe Aliens is nearly as good as T2. But I think Taxi Driver kind of drives past it uh, pretty easily here. Ha! Don't you mean it just completely obliterates it like it's <laughs> a uh, New York whorehouse? <laughs> like a 1970s pimp? <laughs> Dude, that scene is so brutal. Oh my gosh, man. Oh, what man. a movie. Yeah, what a movie is right. 
I moved Taxi Driver on. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, I, I had Jaws actually in this spot. Uh, but when Aliens overtook the the famed shark, I was like, well, Taxi Driver is the better, better movie here. So, so TD is moving into the final four. Now, if it had faced off against Jaws, what would you have picked? That, honestly, that was one of the hardest picks for me. Mm. And I, I picked Jaws because I think they're both in their own genre, like technically perfect movies. Mm-hmm. And I just enjoy Jaws a little bit more. So, wow. I also really want to see Travis Bickle on a boat explaining how he got his scars. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Listen, we have to move away from this for a minute because tensions have ridden high on these last two picks. But we have our film and whiskey four here, and that is Jurassic Park, Terminator 2, A Few Good Men and Taxi Driver. Once again, a an incredibly bro list of four movies, but four unmitigated, inarguable bangers. See, you could have had Grand Budapest Hotel, which is which would be the least broy of the films, but the most Criterion broy. Yeah, you know what I mean. That, yeah, that a, might a be different true. subset of bro. That the the scene when the messages are being sent from hotel to hotel is just incredible. <laughs> it's How such a good movie. That? It's such a good movie. Oh. Unfortunately, it no longer exists. And it with that. It. It is time for us to give out some film and whiskey awards. Brad, are you ready? The filmies. The filmies. I'm so ready, Bob. All right, Brad. It's time for our seasonly. I was going to say yearly, but that's not true. Uh, Seasonally. Our our (laughs) seasonal tradition here. Semi-annual. Yeah, pretty much. Where we give out the film and whiskey awards. And the first few are ones that are pretty set in stone. Brad, you're going to have to take a guess as to what the winner of each of these categories is. And then we'll transition into the Brad G Awards, which are very free form and totally left up to you. (laughs) I'm excited. So our first award for the evening is the most overrated film. And we calculate this by determining what our average score on the film is versus what the IMDb score is. What does the general public think of this movie and why do we hate it so much more than them? Brad, can you take a guess as to what the most overrated movie is? Um, I'm going to guess I didn't score Raising Arizona low enough to make it most overrated. I'm going to guess Last of the Mohicans. That is a good guess, but it is not the I, most overrated. I guess we didn't rate that too low. I, I was just guessing that it has like a 8.2 on IMDb or something. What is it, Bob? Brad, the most overrated film of season six is The Big Lebowski. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. A movie that, that we gave a 7.252 and on IMDb it had an 8.1 overall. That movie has an 8.1? An 8.1. It is a Man. beloved movie, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah. I, I feel like 8.0 is like a wall on IMDb. <laughs> is it like, do you do you feel that way as well? Like, if a movie has an 8.0 or higher, I take notice. I agree. Because there are some, some real classics that haven't hit that mark. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, yet, here's Lebowski. Oh, man. Peeing on everyone's rug. All right. (laughs) The proverbial rug. He doesn't pee on people's rugs. His rug gets peed on. Well, his movie is peeing on the metaphorical rug of every other classic. (laughs) All right. So if most overrated was our first category, Bob, what's our second one? Well, unsurprisingly, it is most underrated. I like doing it this way because we end on a high note, you know, like. This is the movie that we liked a lot more than the general public. The movie that we Mm. most want to advocate for because of the disparity between what everyone else thinks and what we think. Brad, what do you think is the most underrated film of season six? Man, so the public doesn't care for it and we love it. That's interesting because I don't know if we have a movie that you and I were like really crazy about. I mean, Jurassic Park, obviously. Oh, maybe. Honestly, it might be Jurassic Park because we both gave that a 10 out of 10, right? We did. 
but it is not the most underrated. The most underrated one is the Edgar Wright movie Baby Driver. Really? I would never I would never have guessed that. What it has is, a, what is, it has a pretty decent score on IMDb. It has a 7.6, but we gave it a 9.25 in our average score. Okay. Yeah. It was followed pretty closely by A Few Good Men, which we also gave a 9.25 but it has a 7.7 on IMDb. So, uh, you know, almost the same amount of being underrated. But for the sake of argument here, we're handing the award to Baby Driver. So Edgar writes, your movie is much better than people say it is. Yes, very, very much so. I, It's interesting to me. Do you think that the whole Ansel Elgort being sucky thing like impacted that score on IMDb? No, I just I think like that like most people are probably like, yeah, that was a good movie. 7.6. That's like above three out of four stars, you know? Yeah. And I think that I it's only fair. when you start putting it in the context of this is probably one of the four to five best action movies of the last 15 years. And the way that it's directed is so singular and unique. I don't think people are thinking about that movie that way, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And it, it's also just such a simple, small movie that just ends with, you know, him being in love and them driving off into the sunset. And it's it, it doesn't feel like it's making a big statement. And that's one of the things I like about it. All right. And finally, we're going to look at the most divisive movie. Now, it is pretty obvious what our most divisive movie was this season. <laughs> Raising Arizona. <laughs> no, even more than that, it was Moonrise Kingdom because he refused oh, to give it a score. Yeah, that's true. It is also very obvious what our second most divisive was, which is Raising Arizona. And that that gets the award. But can you guess, Brad, what the next most divisive <laughs> the movie is? Because this is third <laughs> most divisive. <laughs> um, Can I ask one small clue? Sure. Uh. Early was in, I early in the season? Oh, okay. Was I higher on the movie or were you higher? I was higher on it and it was early in the season. Um Raging Bull. Close Encounters. Oh yeah, Close Encounters. Yeah. What did you give that? I gave it a nine. You gave it a seven and a half. Okay. Oh, yeah, actually, you know that's... what? Hold on. <laughs> it is Raging um, Bull. Raging Bull has a, a higher disparity. Hey, I was right, and you had actually looked it up. I'm, I must have calculated this. I don't know how I counted to two wrong. <laughs> we were two points apart on Raging Bull. <laughs> we were also two points apart on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. You gave that a significantly higher score than me. I think you gave it a seven and a half. I gave it a five and a half. So yeah. pretty divisive movies. So Close Encounters, you can come collect your fifth most divisive movie <laughs> award from my house. Yeah, Spielberg's on his way right now, Bob. I'm sure he's he's jumping off of the Fableman's award circuit <laughs> to come on over here. Yeah. All right, Brad, Man. it is time for the Brad G Awards. These are the ones that are, yeah, let's be frank, more entertaining. And yes. usually how we do it is this. Uh, there's a couple awards that we give you the option to pick whatever you want. And then, hey, if you want to throw a new award in there, be my guest. The first Brad G Award is one we call the most unexpected Brad, you know, you're coming to most of these movies for the first time, and whether it is a movie that you knew nothing about that took you by surprise, or uh, a movie that you'd seen before and not really cared for, and this time around, you were shocked at how much better it was than you remembered, what would you consider the most unexpected movie this season? Hmm, that honestly is a tough one. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a co-award. I'm going to give it to Misery. And I'm going to give it to Grand Budapest Hotel. Because mm. with, with Grand Budapest Hotel, that was the final movie we watched of the three. Rushmore, I was like, just okay with. It was fine. I liked the Royal Tenenbaums that we did a few seasons ago. And then Moonrise Kingdom was Moonrise Kingdom. And so going into Grand Budapest, I was like really nervous. I was like, man, I like I want to like Wes Anderson, but I'm just... Haven't come around to him yet. And so I was so pleasantly surprised by that film. Misery is just one of my favorite thrillers ever now. And I, I knew a tiny bit going into it. But man, oh man, is Kathy Bates incredible in that film. <laughs> I'm just thinking of a new award of just like most ankle shattering moment. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> that's that's a great award, Bob. <laughs> All right. And then the flip side of that biggest letdown. 
Again, this could be something that you'd never heard of and it still let you down. It could be something you were looking forward to that you'd never seen. Or again, it could be a revisit that just didn't hold up this time around. Brad, what do you think was the biggest letdown of the season? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea why I would have thought that I would really love this movie. It's not like somebody told me it had the greatest opening 10 minutes of any comedy ever. It does. But Raising Arizona sucks, bro. It's not a good movie. I think the thing that's most surprising to me is that not only do you not like it, but that you think it actively sucks. Like that's there because there's a there's a gulf of difference between those two statements. When we talked with Kathleen Falsani, she confirmed it herself. A lot of people really did not like the Coen brothers until Fargo. Yeah. So I and I think that a movie like Raising Arizona is a good reason why. All right, Brad, I'll give you a chance here. Do you have any new made up Brad G awards you'd like to give out? Oh, do I ever. (laughs) Bob, last season, I believe I made up the award. And it wasn't even an award. It was just, who do we want to see fight each other? (laughs) Uh, This season, I'm going to give out the award character I most want to hear explain how they got those scars. Are you talking like you want to hear like about their metaphorical life story or like actually this person got messed up off screen and I want to see I want to hear how it happened. Oh, no, I I want to hear Bill Nighy in character for his Shaun of the Dead character. Right. Explaining how he got the scars from the zombie apocalypse. Got it. Okay. So like real but, physical scars. Yes. Real okay. physical scars like they talk about in the movie Jaws. Yes. However, I'm glad we've gotten all that out of the way. <laughs> uh, Film and Whiskey Nation, let's take a poll. How many of you understood what I was talking about the moment I said it? Well, I just feel like it does. It really <laughs> narrows down the pool because you're, you're not going to pick brief encounter. Like... <laughs> you know what I mean, like it's only emotional scars in that movie. That you are correct. <laughs> All right, you're, you're who's right, Bob? I'm who's not who's the winner of the scar encounter. award? <laughs> the scar award easily. I just want to hear Terminator Two Arnold, not the first one. I want to hear T Two Arnold just for an hour explain how he got every single scar that he gained in that movie because it would be incredible they should have just made a whole other movie of him being like and this one is from when i was shot by the t-1000 it's over and over <laughs> it'd be great do you have anybody that you would want to hear their character explain how they got their scars uh yeah i'd like to hear joe pesci talk about what happened to him in raging bull <laughs> but like in the most like at, at his angriest in Raging Bull. Now, in true Raging Bull fashion, it wouldn't be De Niro he'd be yelling at. It would be his wife. Yes, exactly. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, these awards were wild this season. Let's get back into the bracket. We've got our pool of four movies left. Let's get down to the championship. What do you say? I'm I'm ready to just ruin your life, Bob. It's time for the final film and whiskey four here. Jurassic Park versus Terminator 2 to kick things off. This might be the most challenging matchup of any matchup we could possibly pick, Brad. This is really hard. No, it's not, Bob. I mean, Jurassic Park is the better movie. I love Jurassic Park. Terminator 2 is a nearly perfect movie. Yeah, and Jurassic Park is a perfect is a perfect movie. movie. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> I can see a world where Terminator Two goes toe to toe with any other movie in this bracket. Jurassic Park just is a cut above, man. Yeah, I mean, I will say the look of horror on Sarah Connor's face when she sees the Terminator return mm-hmm. and she doesn't know yet that he's a good guy. Is one of the most honest moments in movie history. Mm. Like it is. I'm terrified because of how terrified she is. I I will never let that scene die out of my memory. But I will because it's going into the fiery inferno. <laughs> the thing I love about movies like Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. And it really is a cultural thing. You know, in the last 30 years since Jurassic Park came out. We don't really have a monoculture anymore. We don't have a thing that like everyone shares and it makes a huge impact on everybody at the same time in a lasting way because everything's so splintered and and niche now. Terminator 2 is a movie that has like five or six 
absolutely iconic cinematic moments in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like an action blockbuster. But it comes from an era where if you knew how to make movies, you could have these indelible moments that lasted forever. Like the T-1000 slipping through those bars the first time he kind of turns into liquid. And, mm-hmm. you know, the guy getting impaled at the end of the, the woman's arm. And that first time that, uh, you know, Arnold tells the kid to get down so him and the Terminator or the T-1000 could shoot at each other. And the chase in the L.A. River and the lava at the end and hasta la vista, baby. Like, it's just it's an iconic movie. And I hate that word because it's so overused, but it really, truly is. And it is a shame to send it off into that molten steel once again. But, Brad, (laughs) that's that's where it's going. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more in the next round about why Jurassic Park is such an incredible film. But but for now, let's just move it on. I think that this is going to be an equally easy matchup, Brad, because I could I mean, I can tell Grand Budapest went very far in your bracket. A Few Good Men, really great movie. Taxi Driver is the better movie. And, you know, I will say we talked during the Taxi Driver episode. It is not a perfect movie. I think that they should have moved the Jodie Foster stuff up into the first half of the movie because it really pulls you out of the suspense that's being built in the second half of the movie that he just takes this extended detour to go talk to Jodie Foster. Uh, But the overall effect of that movie is still so strong. It it really does kind of blow away a few good men. Yeah, there's not much that my boy Tommy Cruise can do to uh, stand up to probably one of the most famous performances of all time in De Niro being Travis Bickle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as much as I love A Few Good Men, I I will also let it die the death it needs to die after beating Grand (laughs) Budapest Hotel. All right. We are ordering a code red against A Few Good Men. (laughs) Dude, I'm I'm coming with the dad jokes tonight, man. You are nailing it. I am very (laughs) impressed. So we have our championship matchup, man. It's Jurassic Park up against Taxi Driver. Spielberg versus Scorsese. A true clash of titans. And we're going to press pause because we have one more thing to do before we break down this championship. And that is to talk about our top whiskeys of this season. Brad, we have tried. I calculated this today. If you include every week of the regular episodes, the 32 whiskeys we drank with the movies, as well as every whiskey we drank in a bonus episode, do you know how many whiskeys we drank this season? Uh, Bob, I believe it would be calculated as a poop ton. Yes. And in numerical values, we drank 77 different whiskeys this season, Brad. Ooh, 77. That's a lot. That is a lot of whiskeys, Bob. You know, very quickly, I just want to I want to say thank you again to so many of these craft distillers that sent us products to try. Uh, You know, I went through and made a list of all the ones that we really noted, Brad, because uh, we tried. Let's see. Well, I guess if you subtract 32, we tried 45 craft whiskeys this season. You know, some of these Doc Swinsons we were just drinking now are fantastic. The Ryan Sons from Andre Mack. Fantastic. We really liked a couple of those Bardstown Origin series. Uh, you know, do you remember the two souls that we drank? It was this new company that's sourcing barrels of whiskey and yes. releasing them under their own label. There was a watershed and then there was a, like a really like a hazmat ride that we really loved. Mm-hmm. We had some great single malts from Old Line and McCarthy's uh, the blind barrels thing we went through. We really had just an incredible season of craft whiskey. But when it comes time to rank out our top five whiskeys of the year, we're only considering those ones from our regular weekly episodes. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see, you know, where our top five is, because I feel like this was a really great year for variety. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's certain years. There's the the year we shall not speak of where we drank a ton of BTAC. I think that was season four, maybe. Uh, season five, it felt like you took us into Scotland and we just camped there for a while, which I was <laughs> utterly elated with. And this year, it, it seems like we had some stuff from Japan. We had some good scotch. We had some bourbon, some rye. I think we even threw in a snuck in a few Canadian whiskeys in there. So I, I'm really excited to hear this list of five. When I broke down our shared top five. So going by like our final, final scores averaged together, you, your individual top five 
four of them are represented in our overall top five. And what that tells me, Brad, is that the ones that you loved this season, you scored really, really high. Like I'm looking at your scores right now. Let's see. I think you scored 11 out of the 32 whiskeys we tried over a 40 out of 50, Brad. Like you really loved your whiskeys this year. (laughs) It it definitely weighted our top fives. But let's break them down here. Our number five whiskey of the season was the 16-year barrel seagrass. Now, we did not like this as much as the regular barrel seagrass. We should say that. That's Brad's favorite whiskey of all time. But the gray label 16-year version still came in at an 86.5 out of 100 when you took our two scores together. Damn good whiskey, Brad. Yeah, I can't say enough about barrel. Like we we've tried a few of their products now. I think that Barrel is the best company in the whiskey world right now. Mm. The the stuff they are putting out is incredible. And this 16-year easily deserves a spot here. Number four, it was one that you definitely liked more than me. So I'll let you talk about why it's so great. It's the Lagavulin 16, which came out to an 87 out of 100. Dude, this represents everything I want out of a scotch. And... It is right at the $100 mark or or just under it in the state of Ohio. And for me, that's like if there's a whiskey I want to buy once a year and enjoy throughout the year, you know, celebrate a few things, it's going to be Lagavulin 16. Mm. And like for me, this has put like I already knew that I loved Lagavulin, but this has put it on the map as like I want to go to Scotland to go to Lagavulin. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how much I love this stuff. All right. In third place is the Yamazaki 12. We tried this uh, a couple months ago when we looked at Avatar. And I know that we have tried to forget that episode because Brad hates that movie so much. And I, in, in so doing, I kind of forgot about the whiskey. I went back and listened to the review again today. And it was definitely the most complex Japanese whiskey we've tried so far. It had so many notes that we've just never, ever picked up on a Japanese whiskey before. And I think that the word complex came up probably like 15 times in that review. And I think that's why it's here, Brad, at an 87 out of 100. Yeah, there was so many interesting flavors here. There there was honey, cinnamon, cherry, like vanilla, coconut. Like I'm looking over my notes for this and it just there's just so many different things going on here. And I will say like it's a hundred and eighty dollar whiskey like it is not cheap to get. But if you're going to spend money on Japanese whiskey, it might as well be the Yamazaki 12. All right. Our second place whiskey for the season is one that does not appear on your top five, Brad, although it was hovering around the six or seven mark. It's one that I really loved. And it was the Maker's Mark Cask Strength that we just had a few weeks ago. This was you used the term earlier about platonic ideal. This was the platonic ideal of a high proof weeded bourbon. There was just cherry for days. That soft, sweet wheat on this whiskey was just killer, man. And at like $45, it's really hard to beat this product in terms of value. Yeah. And it was fun to go there because Maker's Mark is such a mainline brand that we've only ever drank, I believe, the Maker's 46. Mm -hmm. And that was in season one or two. So I was really excited to get back into the Maker's Mark portfolio And I think we need to get back there again soon. All right. Before we reveal the number one, there's a couple honorable mentions from our individual top fives. I definitely had more bourbons on mine. My number three was the Johnny Drum, which we just drank, I think, two weeks ago. Uh, My number four was the Russell's Reserve Single Barrel that had these great leathery notes on it that we really, really loved. And then the number five was uh, Jack Daniels Triple Mash which is a new release from Jack Daniels that costs like 35 bucks. That thing was like sugary sweet. So, so good. Brad, on your list, you had one honorable mention. It came in your fifth place. It was the very first whiskey we tried this season, the Highland Park 12. Yeah, the Highland Park 12 was really an incredible value and a, and just a great whiskey. Mm-hmm. That That's another scotch that you need to get out and try. All right. We've rambled enough. Our number one whiskey of the season is another one that people have not heard of, and you gotta seek it out if you can. It's the Nomad Outland Whiskey. This thing is candy sweet. It has this sherry finish that doesn't taste like sherry. It tastes like, Brad, you said when you were nosing it that it reminded you of grape drink. 
Mm -hmm. And man, oh man, talk about the best possible gateway into drinking scotch. That thing is like, I need more, Brad. I Bob, I'm not going to lie. I drank it again a few weeks ago. And I don't know how we scored it as highly as we did. Wow. But it's such a unique experience. Like, I, I've just never drank another scotch like it. And so I, I'm glad that we gave it the score that we did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it quite deserves it on a comeback experience. But it's it's just a fascinatingly sweet and enjoyable experience. So I... I'm with you, man. I'm glad that the Nomad was on there. It was a lot higher on your list than on mine. We had friends come and stay from out of town for a night a few months ago, and he was asking me about my scotches. And so I pulled up three scotches, and it was uh, the Quinta Rubin, followed by the Nomad, and then he wanted to try a peated scotch. And so I pulled up something peated. And I made him try them in that order because I wanted to see what he thought of the Quinta Rubin and then the Nomad. And I sipped him in that order, man. And I got to say, like, the Quinta Rubin, for a guy who loves Quinta Rubin, I was like, oh, he's going to love this. And he was like, huh, this is interesting. This is very different than what I'm used to. And then we moved into the Nomad. And he was like, what is this stuff? I'm telling you, dude, for a gateway whiskey, I don't know that we've ever had a better one than Nomad yeah. Outland whiskey. Yeah. And it's $35. Yes. And it's so, a 90.5 out of 100 by our scores. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I go for it, man. I, I think people need to try it. I've never heard of it outside of, you know, us drinking it. So get out there and get you some Nomad Outland. All right. We have a championship matchup, Brad. Are you ready for it? Uh, I think I'm ready, Bob. Okay. It's Jurassic Park versus Taxi Driver. I think I know where we're going with this. But Brad... Make your impassioned case for Taxi Driver. Here's the thing, Bob. I don't have an impassioned case for Taxi Driver. <laughs> I have an impassioned case for Grand Budapest Hotel. Yep. And uh, you destroyed that movie like 17 rounds ago. Mm. Could I argue for Taxi Driver over Jurassic Park? Not so much could you, but like what would be the argument for Taxi Driver over Jurassic Park? I think the argument for Taxi Driver is the art of it all. Mm -hmm. You know, Scorsese, I would say, is probably the most accessible director who is also very high artistic, you know, as you can be and still have a lot of people like your movies. Mm -hmm. And I think Taxi Driver kind of epitomizes that. Like, it's a movie that everybody loves and also is really unique, really intricate in the way he builds the story. The cinematography is incredible. The way he uses sound editing is impeccable. Even the final, you know, battle between him and the pimp is shot in such a way that feels trippy and and it fits with Travis Bickle's frame of mind and how he's barely holding on to sanity. So I, I think that I think that Taxi Driver stands out in the history of movies for a very good reason. You know, and not even to mention, you know, as you said, I think uh, in the first bracket episode, he the the scene of him at the mirror just improving is tight and, and wound up and and it just it hits all the right notes. With that said, I think we're both picking Jurassic Park here. I don't have to pick Jurassic Park, Bob. No, and that's what I was going to say is I think our last two consecutive brackets, maybe more, came down to a coin flip. The championship was a coin flip. And let's be frank here. It's better with some drama. And we now have a vengeance factor from you. So, like, do you just want to make this be a coin flip? Do you want See, do you want to stump for Taxi Driver? Here's the thing, Bob. I don't just do things for vengeance sake. <laughs> I am a man of principle and I'll send you the picture here soon. I actually picked Jurassic Park over Grand Budapest oh, Hotel. Wow. Okay. I like I put Grand Budapest Hotel as my number one film from this season, but when it came down to it, I couldn't deprive the fans of Film and Whiskey Nation from the opportunity to watch Jurassic Park anymore. Mm -hmm. I, it is one of the most perfect movies ever created. It is so t 
tight. It has no areas that I would cut out. And there's just so many scenes from that film that you just get to see Spielberg be one of the greatest directors of all time. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's part of why I feel Taxi Driver has an argument is what is the void created if this movie doesn't exist? And I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a depiction of mental illness, violent mental illness, right? Mental illness that leads to violence on screen that is as effective as Taxi Driver. And it's a movie that came out over 40 years ago now. And it's a movie that's been endlessly, endlessly ripped off by Best Picture nominee Joker, you know, just a couple of years ago. Like that movie's influence is as wide and its shadow is as long as Jurassic Park's is. I do like Jurassic Park better, but I, I also feel like whichever movie ends up being crowned the champion here, we really are losing something significant by throwing the other one in the fiery furnace. So you're you're just going to force a coin flip. I'm not. No. Are we saying Jurassic Park? I'm saying Jurassic Park. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that does it then. No drama this season. <laughs> We're going to play the music because nothing can topple the king. We're talking about Do-do-do. the Tyrannosaurus Rex of films. What's the what's the thing on the banner that falls when the T-Rex is roaring at the end? When dinosaurs when... ruled the earth? Yep, that's it. They still rule it, baby, because Jurassic Park. Put the banner back up. (laughs) Jurassic Park. We're hanging the banner in the rafters. We're retiring its number as the season six champion. I mean, was there any other choice, Brad? I for me, Grand Budapest Hotel was the only one that had a chance because mm-hmm. I, I think that movie is just so incredible. But Jurassic Park makes the most sense here. Also, John Williams deserves this. Oh, yes. I, I don't know if he has won a top movie yet. Uh, any of his films that he's scored. But I part of the reason I chose Jurassic Park was also just so that John Williams would get a, a top spot. I love it. Okay, here's what this means for you guys. If you've been following along with your own bracket, we'd like to know what you think. What was your season six champion? And did we get it right? You can reach out to us on our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Whiskey. Or reach out to us on our Discord. We are on there every single day talking to you guys, the fans of the Film and Whiskey podcast. You can find a link to our Discord at the end of every single one of our show notes. This does it for season six. And we are taking a well-deserved break in the month of March. We're not really taking a break. We're trying to get some stuff together for season seven, but we got to take some time off from recording to do that. And so we might have a couple bonus episodes that drop in the interim. We might replay a couple episodes for you guys to keep you satiated in the meantime. But we'll be returning the first week of April to kick off season seven. Brad, as we say goodbye to season six, I think I got to say, man, this was my favorite season yet. I thought season five was the coolest premise that we ever did. But there's something about returning to the classic movies here and it not feeling so much like homework this time because we were, you know, we were examining the work of a director across multiple movies. I really loved this format, dude. Sounds a lot more like homework, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm honestly with you, though. I think that there's something to be said for watching a few films from the same director. Now, if we were doing like four directors and watching like, you know, seven films each or something, eight films each, that would get very old very fast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, watching three to four movies and having an opportunity to examine each director has been a lot of fun. And I'm really excited to see who we come up with for next season. And I'm really pumped that we did somebody like Edgar Wright. Yeah. You know, he he is such a fascinating a little bit of a blip on the radar for a long time. It, it doesn't feel like he became big until Baby Driver. And so to be able to look at some of his films it was was just really a lot of fun. All right, that does it for us. We will see you in April for season 7. But until then, I'm Bob Book. 
I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. Stagger, your trusted voice in the world of selective spirits. Today's 60 second whiskey appraisal is brought to you by Doc Swinson's. Doc Swinson's, the perfect whiskey for adventurous whiskey explorers. Today we're reviewing their Trace Amigos, one of their exploratory cask series. This is a straight rye whiskey finished in rum and tequila barrels. On the nose, it's all orange to me, friends. Citrus fruit and agave with just a hint of pear. The palate is a mean mix of toasted sugar, peppercorn, and citrus, and the finish is just bursting full of pineapple, vanilla, and oak. By golly, this whiskey is bonkers delicious. If you are in the market for a grand old time, then you must go partake in the delicious offerings prepared by the legendary blenders over at Doc Swinson's. Remember, this 60-second review has been brought to you by Doc Swinson's. Find the closest retailer to you at docswhiskey.com. That's D-O-C-S whiskey.com. Until next time, folks, this is George B. Stagger signing off.